You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music tech and music innovation. And there's an interesting sector of this whole music tech and music innovation world, which is the sync, the placement of music with video, with moving picture that we overlap with quite a bit. It's kind of its own special world, but it definitely fits into the, 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 the big picture of the music industry, not only with innovation, but also with revenue uh, of, of the industry. And so I'm excited today because I have a guest who is going to help us explore this world. Um, his name is Carl Richter. Uh, while working as a music supervisor at his company, Level 2 Music, uh, Carl founded Disco, a music file sharing and workflow platform built specifically for the music industry. Disco now manages 90 million files for publishers, record labels, managers, artists, media companies, and music supervisors globally, counting Netflix, UMG, Amazon, Sony, TikTok, and Warner among its customers. If you were at our conference, the Music Tectonics Conference, you probably saw some folks from Disco there. They were there supporting us at our party and um just a part of the community. Hey, Carl, welcome to Music Tectonics. Hey, Dimitri. Good to, uh, good to be here. Great to chat. Yeah, th thanks for joining. Hey, so let's just dive in. How would you describe the state of music supervision as we move into 2024? Yeah, look, it's been an interesting year, right? Well, obviously, the uh, writer's strike has, has been one of the things that impacted uh, music supervisors and then also music rights holders and so on. Um, we've come out the other side of that. Uh, I, I think that there's also been macro global economic challenges as well that have occurred in the last year. And, and um, it's been a challenging year for some, but uh, I think it's, um, it's looking pretty good. Next year's looking great. And uh, certainly there's lots of areas um, where, where uh, music is always needed against moving picture and, and the opportunities for that continue to grow. So even if we widen out even beyond just like this exact moment in time, how's music supervision been going for the past several years? Let's let's look at that as well. Yeah, look, it's I, I think it, you could you know you could say it just it, it grows year on year. Um, in uh, the the last kind of numbers that are sort of kicking around for uh, financial year of twenty twenty two, it saw sort of growth of around over twenty percent uh, on the um, recorded on the master side. And a similar sort of uh, growth as well uh, on the publishing side. So um, it's a it's a healthy area, and it's an area that uh, continues to find you know new ways of evolving and and new ways and new platforms and new opportunities to for for music copyright to be utilised. So long before uh, TikTok, or maybe even long before YouTube, there were some moments that I think really put music supervision and sync on the map for not just the music industry, um, but also society, culture as a whole. There were these Beverly Hills 9021 moments, Apple TV commercials, even the earlier ones, where TV and film pl placement were like a shining light of the music industry. But I, I've looked into what numbers I can find, um, and, it, and I look at the overall industry revenue for sync, uh, the overall industry revenue as a whole, and then sync as a part of it, it doesn't seem like it's a huge proportion, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. How, how big is this market, or you know, what, what kind of contribution does it really make to music overall? You're right. It is a relatively small proportion of the music industry of that sort of total revenue. Um, and that it, it 
it's it's on the recording side. Some of those numbers look like uh, 2.5% or so. On the publishing side, it can be uh, around um, 20% or so of the, the revenue is generated through sync. But it's also one of those areas that rather than talking about pennies, you're talking about thousands of dollars. So uh, an individual sync and a usage can actually have an outsized impact on the copyright owners or the, the artists um, should they get one. So in that sense, it kind of, I guess, bats above its weight. And, and certainly there is a, as a opportunity to either unlock the value of a copyright or to empower or support an independent artist or an independent record label rights holder. Uh, it, it, it certainly plays a really significant role. I mean, that's a great point. We're constantly having conversations about fractions of pennies in the streaming world. And uh, even though it's probably become a little tighter on the sync side too, uh, maybe because of the economic wins you referenced earlier, or maybe just because there's more competition or more opportunity. I don't really is. It's, it's still, it may be smaller than the earliest sync uh, placement days, but there's still thousands of dollars, not, not fractions of pennies. So great point. Which leads into my next question. What are some common misperceptions around sync and music supervision? I'm sure you've been doing this for a long time, so I'm sure you're well aware of uh, misunderstandings people have, whether it's on the rights holder side or on the the the, the person that's licensing, the entity that's licensing music, or maybe just, just in, in common culture. What, what kind of common mis- misperceptions have you seen? Yeah, look, I think pretty much anyone that isn't part of the sync industry will hold a misconception about um, our neck of the woods. So, and that that could be about the type of music that is synced and why. It can be about um, understanding the legal and commercial complexities that, that basically sit, that go into any sort of placement. Um, and also then it's, it's sort of the considerations that are financial, strategic, brand or content aligned. Um, there, there's there's a whole raft of them, uh, and then as well, there's sort of the the I guess the misunderstanding or uh, just not the lack of awareness of of the singular lack of time that is gener- is sort of like a constant theme across any sync usage. So the amount of time that you re- uh, that you need to have to be able to go and clear and license a track, and the complexity that sits behind that um, is always a challenge. Right. So, so I think I've walked into some sessions at different music industry conferences about sync. I'm no expert in sync, but I mean, the basics of just like, Hey, there's two different aspects, two different rights that you have to clear. Then there's the issue of, do you have stems, uh, as well? Cause sometimes, uh, users of, of those tracks want to, uh, do different things, uh, as it goes with a, a film or TV or video commercial, whatever it is there as well. So lots to learn there. It's, I think that's one of the things about it. It's like an interesting niche that's slightly different than a lot of other things in the music space and slightly more complicated in certain ways because you have to have both sides of the the rights as well. Um, But it leads me to my question because you went from being a music supervisor into building a platform for this entire industry. Let's move to disco. Describe what it is for us. Well, it's it's a platform essentially for managing and sharing music files. And that's a, it's a platform that's uh, utilized from, uh, the entire frontline catalogs of, of, of major rights holders through to an individual artist. And, and so along the way, it's also a, a workflow platform as well. So it's a way of sort of capturing your creative IP as, um, you know, in the, in the role of a supervisor of actually managing and 
and collating and then and then sharing your ideas on to uh, whoever it is that that you're working for. Um, but it's also a, a place that an artist can uh, house their music um, and then be able to share it with everyone inside their ecosystem. So it, it sort of leans into the shared problem of um, be it if you're a, a band manager or if you're a radio plugger or if you're working in PR or if you're working in a and uh, the one sort of shared common problem uh, when it comes to actually moving the files around is uploading and downloading those files. So it gets rid of a, 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 a shared problem there that uh, I, I guess it's kind of like it's, it's created around a gatekeeper system where um, you're, always, you're always thinking about what's the best experience for the person that you're sending and sharing that music to. So be that if you're pitching for a show or if you're, you're um, pitching to a publisher or, or that publisher is then on sending it to a, um, uh, a music supervisor. It's kind of um, every step along the way is how can we make that as productive and as efficient and as creatively interesting as possible. So it certainly works in, in music supervision, and I assume that's what you designed it for originally based on your past and your expertise. And you've got kind of, quote, quote, two sides of the market or the exchange where you've got somebody who's created music who wants to pitch, and then you've got somebody who's placing music who wants to organize their thoughts and the sounds they're working with. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And I mean, look, we started with, it. it's taken us around seven years or so, and and I would say that the vast majority of the world's music supervisors are now utilising disco. Uh, and um, so that's created its own sort of, I guess, efficiencies for those users. But at the same time, then, we've, we've seen it really spread across um, all other different sectors of the music industry as well. So we've just released a, a product that is aimed specifically for artists um, and a package that's that's just for them but the the types of people that we see now that are in there and using it at daily are management companies or radio pluggers uh, here in Australia uh, most of the rights holders actually use disco to then pitch for adding you know getting adding to to radio stations and so forth so it's got a really um, a much broader use now that we've sort of established ourselves in, inside the, the engine room of sync in the, in the music industry. So in a way, you can sort of think of it as a, like a closed and controlled ecosystem of music sharing, music playlisting, music plugging, pitching, all the stuff that happens that you wouldn't want on a DSP necessarily. Yeah, correct. I mean, it's, it's also essentially it's that moment. It, it, it's still a, a B2B rather than a B2C platform. Um, but it's that moment where you actually need to share the file rather than just listen to a stream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then along with that file comes all of the metadata and who has the rights to the track and so on. So it's, it's also an opportunity there to really connect the idea of a system of record, which sits there if you're managing a catalogue within that information, um, traveling with that track and, and, and so on to uh, the ultimate end user. Got it. Okay. Uh, one more thing on disc. Well, I have a couple more things on disco, but what, I mean, <laughs> we could probably guess the origin story of disco, but I'd love to hear from you because I, we've got a lot of music tech founders listening and, and just part of that innovation ecosystem. It's super helpful for, I think, people to hear from each other. What's the origin story for you of disco? Yeah, look, it's, it's, um, 
there, there is a common theme, I think, with with uh, products that are built out of existing businesses, and that was obviously to solve a problem that I had. Uh, and and my problem was that I was that I lost my iTunes collection, I think, around three times. And oh, um, God, that's awful. That's, that that just killed me. Um, and at the same time, I was watching uh, the crew here at Level Two spending a lot of time uploading and downloading files, be it from uh, individual websites or then having to upload and download a Dropbox link or WeTransfer and so on. And it, it was built to, to solve a problem, you know, for, for us. And, and the reality was that, that when I went out and had a look at if there was anything out in the marketplace, there was really nothing there that actually understood the workflow of, of what it was that we, were, that we needed to do. So there's clearly nothing had been made from um, inside the music industry as such, uh, and and that tool was essentially something that we just sort of built for, our, for ourselves first of all. Did you realize what you're getting into? Are you are you glad you <laughs> productized the work? Look, it, it it wasn't with the it, it also sort of wasn't with the the strategy of oh hey great let's go let's let's. Uh, uh, have a startup, and um, it, it it really was something where at, at at a point I was like, "Geez, I spent a lot of money on this. Maybe other people can use it as well." Um, and and I think there, through a sort of series of collaborations with rights holders in Australia, first and foremost, we were able to understand that it was a platform that could be used not just by music supervisors, uh, and and then also with music supervisors themselves. Um, you know, lots of people had had the idea of, hey, there's a there's a nice chunky sync market. Why don't we try and create a marketplace around it? Uh, and supervisors should go there. But I was more interested in actually empowering the supervisors themselves. What is a tool that could actually help them? Uh, and in helping them, how do you then actually sort of increase the, you know, the democratization of discovery when it comes to music? How do you actually facilitate uh, um, and make it easier for music to um, be shared and, and ultimately end up in a position where it might be earning some money because of a sync. Right, makes sense. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to learn a little bit about what you've learned in the process. We'll be right back. What's up, beautiful listeners? Now I have a question for you. What do you want to hear next? Let me know at musictectonics.com slash podcast. Click the big pink button to fill out a quick survey. Suggest future guests or music innovation topics you want to hear Dimitri and Tristra cover. Or just tell me how we're doing. That's at musictectonics.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. Okay, we are back. And uh, Carl, I wanted to ask you, um, what have you learned about catalog management since the launch of Disco? I mean, it feels like that's a lot of what the value proposition there is, is coming up with a system that works for everyone, <laughs> not just your iTunes library, but you know, the, the flip side, the, the artists or the publishers or the labels, and then now you have other types of users as well. Um, so, so what have you learned from, from, from this? Yeah, look, that's a, it's a good question. Um, I think the themes really are that there's sort of a, a constant tension between the role of catalog management as a as a system of record, but it also then being a creative workspace that you know enables discovery and and sort of allows the unlocking of the value of those assets that you're actually managing. 
So there's absolutely no point in having um, a, a system that basically ticks every box and, and you know, meets every requirement um, that's there from an administrative point of view but is completely unusable um, when it comes to actually them being able to share and manage. So DISCO actually stands for Discovery, Intuitive Search and Creative Organisation. Oh, fancy. Um, and, and, and so the creative organisation really is around the idea that everyone manages and organises their music differently for whatever their purpose is. Uh, and so what we really try to do is create a workflow platform that sort of works as fast and as intuitively as you like to work. And it should be, it should be kind of like slightly addictive as well in a really good way. Um, so, and, and then that intuitive search is, is we have a, 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 um, a function called the breadcrumb trail where essentially all of your previous searches and, you know, going back years uh, can be sort of very quickly um, surfaced. Now, that, uh, that's super useful for rights holders. It's super useful for, um, uh, for music supervisors or people that are looking to um, uh, have music that they, you know, that they need to find that isn't just based on um, another algorithm. It's, it's really about what is your creative IP? How do you connect with and find music? How do you think about music? How do you listen to music? And so we're really trying to sort of create that. And obviously that's now been super powered with um, AI functionality and, and, you know, we have our own in-house uh, tagging. We have our own similarity search. We have instrumental splits, all of those sorts of things that uh, internally as well, all of those sorts of things, which I think pretty much now are table stakes. But um, we also then have a, a product which is called Pages, which means that an artist essentially can share, uh, dial up a, like an equivalent of an EPK or an instant website just in the actual link that they share. So it's about, it's, it's about us sort of thinking about um, not just catalogue management, but then also what's the interaction once the music actually leaves the platform. Interesting. As you're talking about it, I think about, wow, these are the, probably the same types of problems that huge music streaming services are trying to solve or solving as well, maybe with a slightly different end user. But here you are running this you know, smaller company that's not expecting to take over the world of streaming, I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. But you're having to solve the same exact problems of these multi-billion dollar companies. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, you sort of look at, at some of the DSPs and I don't Ultimately, I don't think that they're about discovery. I mean, I, I'm, you know, my my background was that I was involved in I, I was involved in A and R before I was a music supervisor. I also did community radio too for for many years, and and really, you know, I tend to lean into that idea of curation and discovery coming through from people's own connection to music rather than necessarily, uh, you know, a, a platform on which you, you listen to it being streamed. Very good point. Very good point. So uh, one other aspect of Sync that I want to get into, and it's a little different than Disco, but several companies have emerged as marketplaces to kind of widen the market of Sync. It sounds like with, with Disco, you, you just add music, <laughs> whereas there's a lot of other kind of Sync-related uh, marketplaces that are really more marketplaces where they're trying to get people to sort of like sell their music through it um, like a platform. And I'm just curious, is, is this, this emergence of marketplace, 
this emerges a marketplace. Is it working? Is there this significant long tail of music placement now as a result? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I have mixed feelings about even the idea of what a marketplace is. I, you know, nothing kills a buzz more than, than a price tag on a piece of music. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, there's, and that said, I think that there's definitely a role uh, because music supervision and synchronization has many, many different roles to play. And there needs to be opportunities for music, uh, be it production library music or, or bespoke music that is available and is, is available for easy clearance and, and can be based around sort of expected price ranges and so on. Um, I, I think uh, it, Disco has its own public-facing uh, uh, product uh, discovery suite so you can actually house your catalogue and have it searched um, by music supervisors. However, I, I don't call that a marketplace so much as a place that you can go and discover music. And, and through that, it's really then actually extending and building your network and your connections of people. So we're, it's really around that idea of community building. Now, that said, we've got some really exciting um, developments where we're looking at how we bring those public, those, those searchable catalogues uh, into music supervisors at the exact moment that they are looking for that music. Um, I think that sort of connectivity is, is an ex exciting place to explore. But the notion of a marketplace as such, I think is kind of like a, a short-term response and, and almost like a, and I, and I think just through the actual limitations of it, it's got a built-in lifespan. So, you know, a, a marketplace that, that might have uh, 10, 15 labels in it um, is, is, is in of itself a, a fairly limited experience and, and certainly I'm not aware of like huge amounts of music supervisors that are rushing to go to sort of five different marketplaces to go and try and license music. I guess the second half of my question also has to do with the long tail of music and placement, because at the same time that we have this huge growth of how much music is getting released and getting created, we also have this huge growth in how video is being used and what, how much video content is, is being created out there. And, you know, it, you know, it could go from looking at something on the one end as a, you know, a, a blockbuster Hollywood film or an expected blockbuster Hollywood film all the way to, uh, the other end of the spectrum, which is somebody who's making a video on their phone and then realizes they want to put some music to it and publish it somewhere. And of course, the, the, the video platforms them, themselves have some role to play with the licensing at that point. But there's these things that are kind of in between. There's like smaller, um, you know, social media ads or c commercial uses of music and things like that. I guess I'm wondering, like, is is the amount of new music that's getting placed as sync, that long tail music kind of growing at the same time as video and is that is that growing the sync market is that not even considered the sync market if you have user generated videos and you have people looking to license music for those is that even the same thing i don't know i'm just curious about people people are saying oh there's more like micro sync opportunities as a result of the the both the the larger scale creation of music and the larger scale creation of video and i'm just curious where we really are with that yeah, look, it's a it's a good question, and um, uh, micro licensing is something that that is definitely a growth market. And then you also see the 
types of things that are happening, say, with a product like Canva, where, you know, they're now feeding in independent um, uh, rights holders uh, as well as majors into products that uh, are becoming more and more about moving picture. Mm, yeah. And, 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 you know, it also, I think it also then plays a role with the ways that, say, brands use music on TikTok and, and the opportunity there where there may not necessarily be a sync fee initially, but there's certainly, you know, rev share or there is the opportunity to then build a, a broader viral moment as well. So the, the reason for being for the sync itself is something that uh, continues to kind of like grow and expand. Okay, we haven't already gotten in trouble with our questions yet. We will after a break. I have to take a quick break, and then I want to ask you about the hot topic, generative music AI. We'll be right back. Well, hello, listener. Did you know that this podcast is just one way music tectonics goes beneath the surface of music and tech? We know that innovation thrives on community and connection, so we bring innovators together in a variety of ways. We've got a free online event series we call Seismic Activity. We've got the Music Tectonics Conference every October in Los Angeles, and we've got meetups at major industry events like the NAMM Show, South by Southwest, and Music Biz. Stay on top of our schedule. Get the Music Tectonics newsletter in your inbox. Sign up at musictectonics.com. All right, Carl, we're back, and I am curious. What's your take on how generative music AI will impact your field and work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly the topic du jour, isn't it? And um, yeah, I enjoyed listening to uh, the the recent episode there from um, your conference as well. So hear, hearing uh, the panel there about music and AI, uh, look, there's I think that there's a number of different challenges there. It is it is definitely going to impact on music supervision. Uh, I think that there's some, sort of some really challenging copyright questions there that uh, when it comes to a brand or anyone in actual fact using music where it's not clear who actually owns the copyright to that track uh, is in itself a a much larger issue than uh, is AI-generated music going to, um, you know, take over the world. Uh, I I think that the the obvious low-hanging fruit is is, um, some sort of background music uses or royalty-free music, uh, but... You know, I'm also a strong believer in that that the the right track or, or good music, human music that is there that is kind of like the extra character that you you don't see that but that you hear. Uh, I think that there's always going to be that role for for human created music. So got it. So, so you just think the humans will win, is what you're saying? Well, no. Look, <laughs> I think the humans are going to play with AI. I think you know, I think that there's incredible opportunities to be more creative. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the reason that the fake Drake track was such a banger was not that it, it sounded like Drake in the weekend, but there was actually some really great production chops and, and so on that were actually around that. Um, you, you know, 70% of that was, was, was created by an artist. So uh, there's, albeit that I suspect they probably use samples that they shouldn't, but, you know, maybe we won't include <laughs> that in this podcast. And cut that bit out, uh, but <laughs> but but you know I think that um, the challenges for for AI where it comes to competing against um, artists or against rights holders, or then also 
the the you know the data scraping and 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 actually using those that that copyright that um you know that that cat's out of the bag and and there's already clearly a number of companies that are doing that and i think and it's and once again it's the music industry sort of scrambling to to play catch up with a a challenge that is certainly going to be there and evolving over the over the next couple of years yeah. Well, thanks for diving in on that. So let's widen out a bit. Um, and before we wrap up here, I'm curious, what other evolutions in music tech are you following? As you said, you started in A&R, you've been in community radio, then music supervision. Now you have your own uh, music tech startup, if you want to call it that. Um, and uh, I'm sure you're looking at a wider range of things as well. What are you following? What's what's interesting to you? Yeah, that's a good, good question. I'm kind of, yeah, as I said, I think I think sort of that space of of tagging or similarity search or instrumental splits, those sorts of things. I think those are essentially just table stakes now. I, I'm kind of interested more in companies that are serving the needs of their music community and and sort of artist first uh, uh, ideas um, and and kind of open ended as well, not not with guardrails, but ones that that kind of grow with their community. So. There's there's a company that I really like called Roster, um, which is you know LA based company and um, is doing an amazing job. Sort of I think almost conceptually and philosophically, sort of building this ecosystem ar- around band managers and bookers and and artists and agents and and I think that there's something really interesting that's going to come out of that. Uh, there's another a, another company, um, Bruver out of France. They're sort of a, a, another values-driven company that I like. That uh, I really like the way that they connect artists and curators in a really interesting way. Um, and then you know the, the much bigger companies, uh, title the title for artists program and title rising. They're they're doing great stuff there too. And it's it's interesting as as you look at sort of say, say how some of the DSPs are sort of reimagining themselves too. Amazing. What a great, what a great mix of things that you're following there. And I love the way you're thinking about it too. And I love that just like last year, people were like, is stem separation really something we should be looking at? Is it something that's going to, um, you know, add value for the music industry? Is it something that you can monetize? How do you use it? Why is it important? All those questions were happening last year. And this year you're saying that's table stakes, which is great. I mean, those models are still developing. And, um, but, but what you're saying is each of the, and even the way you talked about generative music AI, AI, it feels like you're saying, yep, we got another tool in the tool belt. Yep. We got another tool in the tool belt, but now let's really talk about like what, what is the, you know, what, what's the way to really help artists beyond just those kinds of tools, but with music creation, but, but really figure out how to make a career out of it, how to build their network and, and so forth. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, look, I, I think that that sort of democratization of discovery is, is the opportunity that, that sits here ahead of us. And, and I do think it's a moment where, in a way, the the music industry is really sort of reinventing itself again. You know, we're in the middle of it, and and there's certainly a lot of noise around AI. But uh, I th- I think the 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 big lift is going to be around um, not only discovery, but that along the way too, that the really basic things like metadata and actually understanding who has the rights for it, and and the very real human problems that have come with um, actually, identifying who who has the rights and who has the approvals and so on, 
I think those things are, are starting to, you know, sort of gain momentum. Uh, and, and, you know, that's something that's really interesting, I think. Wow. I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. You got me going deep on this one, Carl. <laughs> so if our listeners want to stay on the pulse of music supervision and sync, just going back to the, the, the core conversation here, what is one outlet, one event, and one person they should follow? Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. I can't, I can't give you one. I have to give you a couple. Uh, okay, well, I'll Ari take a couple. Ari podcast, The New Business Industry, is an amazing recent episode with Jen Pierce, who's, who has a sync rep company, Low Profile. And that's basically like an hour primer into the mechanics of sync and all the different types of sync that's there. So, and there's also some pretty candid conversations about the type of sync fees that users attract to. So that, and that's the kind of question that, that everyone wants to know. So I would really go there and, and obviously as well, like, you know, Ari's book is, is uh, I'll, I'll call him up and get the check after this, but that how to make it in the new <laughs> business industry. But um, the, the third one, uh, again, that's, that's a bit of a Bible. Um, the other things I always like looking for as well is, is sort of great communities. So uh, where, where sync is being discussed and, and I think that there's a lot to be gained by finding a place where there's artists similar to yourself or, or people that have similar sorts of questions. And there's a great uh, community called Control Camp. It's a free online resource. It's run by a guy called Eric Campbell. And um, that's a, a, if, if you are wanting to do a deep dive into it, that's a, that's a really good place to start. Um, Guild of Music Supervisors, socials, and, and they're always a great source for information, not only about sync, but sync events and, and where, they're, you know, where they're happening. And, and then I'd, I'd probably also throw in, you know, finally there's a, a, um, a music supervisor that's also a lecturer as well. Um, Ryan Spenson, uh, he's based out of LA and he really pulls back the veil on, on music supervision in an interesting way. He recently did a, uh, a public search on TikTok where he not only got people to sort of send music to him, but then he went through the process of why it was that he chose particular tracks. And I think any of that sort of, you know, broader educational view is, you know, is as a resource is great. And, you know, actually, the final thing I should mention is also the School of Disco. So I'll put in a bit of a plug for it's a, a free resource, but it's something that uh, one of the disco OG, uh, Tim Byrne, has, has essentially taken all of his creative IP from many, many years and, and put it into a resource that's there and available for, for people that want to know more uh, about sync as, as well about, you know, how, how disco could be useful for them. Amazing. Carl, what a great conversation. So many resources, great topics here. Plugs at the right moment, but not over-plugging it. Um, super happy to have you. Carl Richter with Disco. If you want to check it out, it's at disco.ac. And Carl, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Demetri. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. 
Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.